Hey guys, this is Craig Hostetler, and I'd like to welcome you to the Black Sheep Experience. This is episode number 26. Yes, number 26. And um, actually, really cool podcast today. John Scott and myself have a conversation. We just hit record and uh, start talking. And, and so kind of what we're talking about today is the Tao Te Ching and the philosophies of Siddhartha. Um, also known as Buddha, right? Same guy. So, uh, although he didn't like being called that, just a note. So anyway, uh, this may be a little bit uncomfortable, uncharted territory for some of you, but I think if you'll just give it a listen, you'll see how some of these ideas, some of these approaches to life, um, to your own faith, can really be maybe enriching, expansive, I found them to be very helpful in my in my own life, and I'm excited to kind of share some of this with you. Now, I realize, and and you should realize too, that you may have misconceptions about some of these ideas. Um, they're not really religions, and that's important to note. Most of us think they're religions. They're really not. They're approaches to life, approaches to the way that we view um, the divine or metaphysics, right? Whatever whatever is out there on the other side of form. And so I think it's very interesting. So before we jump into it, I don't like to do super long intros anymore. Yeah. So anyway, before we jump into it, a couple of quick things. Uh, If you have a Facebook, if you have an Instagram account, if you have a Twitter account, and you're not following uh, me, Craig Hostetler, or the Black Sheep Experience, um, you, you need to check yourself. So jump on there, man. Find me. Find the Black Sheep Experience. Follow, like, comment. And uh, to those of you that are already sharing the podcast on your social media platforms, you know, you're sharing uh, the fact that, that this podcast exists with your friends, I can't tell you how much I really appreciate it. Uh, I don't spend money on sponsored ads for the podcast. I'm not. I'm not infiltrating your feed with uh, my uh, demand to be seen. Right. So the way that I develop a new audience is is really through you, letting others know that that this podcast exists. Right. That I'm alive. And so if you would continue to do that, if you haven't done it before, give it a shot and let people know that, uh, that the podcast exists. All right, man, that's it. I'm done. It is time to jump into um, my conversation with Holy Heretics podcaster, John Scott. All right, man, Craig, let's talk, dude. Let's just chat a little bit. Hey, man, I'm ready. Let's do it. Let's uh, let's just see where the conversation takes us. I, I think on this this segment, we're sort of like just coming out of the Eastern closet. <laughs> yes, at least in the East. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, because I mean, we've both talked about our frustrations with. Um, Western Christianity and evangelicalism and what have you. 
And it's interesting that you have somewhat had a similar journey as me uh, in that there's been this discovery and uncovery uh, hints of it throughout our adult life, but this this sort of discovery and uncovery of a lot of Eastern thought and Eastern idea that, like for me, just kind of I jive with. I mean, it, it like I'm motivated by it, and I there, I feel a sort of a sense of catching that vibration. I I know you've mentioned that to me before for you as well. Yeah, you know, it's funny because um, there is, I, I think so much, and interestingly enough, and we'll we'll dive into this a bit, but so much of, so many of the things that Jesus says personally um, really jive with a lot of the ideas or philosophies anyway that happen within kind of the Eastern view of life. At least I've found that to be so. Yeah. I think so, and I think that maybe, you know, it could be um, a clue, although there's no evidence that Jesus spent any time in China or India. There's no real evidence of that, even though there's speculation. There's no real evidence of it. Um, But, you know, I think that's where some of the idea comes. Like, for instance, when I read in the Gospels where the Pharisees said, um, we've never heard anybody talk like this. I think it was because there's Jesus found what Alan Watts would call uh, a cosmic consciousness, um, a universal connection that seems to show up in a lot of the writings and thinking of people like uh, Siddhartha, um, certainly a lot of the writings of the Hindu faith, um, the writings of even of Lao Tzu. Um, and I've mentioned this to you before. I love the Tao Te Ching, like the Tao Te Ching. That's my jam. Like I dig it a lot and I have for several years, but over the last 12 months, I've really dove into it and man, it, it just has this synchronicity with some of the things that Jesus taught, of course. And, um, I don't know. There, there's certain quotes, and I'd like to go through a few of those, and let's just chat about them if you're okay with that. Certain quotes that have changed my life and have helped me, like I could just feel the vibe from it. It didn't matter who said it. One of the one of the teachers that has influenced me probably more than anyone else as it pertains to teachers outside of the Christian faith, and I'm 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 air quoting for those who can't see. One of those teachers would be Dr. Wayne Dyer. And you mentioned that you were reading Dyer, you know, 15, 20 years ago yourself. And there, you can't help but have a shift in consciousness. When you hear certain things like, here's a quote, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Yeah, you know, man, I, I think, and, and I just want to um, lay the groundwork here a little bit. And I know that both of us have a, a wide variety of viewers or um, listeners, and some of those are much more expanded or open, and others would be a little more uh, evangelical or, or coming out of that. You know, I can't tell you how many years ago, and, and we're, we're talking probably 86, 87, I picked up a Wayne Dyer book called Your Erroneous Zones. Yeah. Read the book. It, it, it resonated with me on a level I can't really express. And then, 
this this isn't a criticism, but then I got saved, right? <laughs> Good for <laughs> you. Told, yeah, 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 right. And, and, you know, so all those things became wrong. So anything that wasn't Jesus-centric to whatever degree the evangelicals believed Jesus-centric was, was deemed as wrong or new age, or I don't really care about the title anymore, but it was, it was labeled as something. Yeah. Then years later, I heard um, Dyer teaching on, um, oh, it was the book you wrote about doubt, the, the Tao, actually, and I can't remember what that was called. Change, change your thoughts, change your life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that whole power of intention time that he had there, and uh, that really resonated deeply with me. But again, I pushed a lot of that aside, even though I had my my own personal beliefs were already in line with those ideas. And I and I perceived and picked many of those ideas up from Scripture. And when I talk when I say Scripture, I mean the Bible, uh, even though it was contrary to some of the things that I was being taught in church. So now years later, here I am. And I just want to say to everybody out there, um, you know, this is safe territory. You don't, you're not going to get like uh, possessed or anything if you if you read some of these passages. And much of what like someone like Buddha or, or Siddhartha really is who we would say. Yeah. Um, much of what he taught was more philosophical as opposed to being a religion. Yeah, absolutely. And the reason I think that's important is because from the outside, we think that Buddhists worship Buddha. And that's actually a very small, you know, Buddhism is like uh, Christianity. There's many sectors of it. The largest sector of, of Buddhists don't believe that he was divinity, but, but that he was enlightened. And they're not the same thing. No, no, exactly. But what I've found is in reading things like the Tao or reading uh, the philosophies of Buddha, they're incredibly helpful for living a life that is uh, peace oriented and it, it, it does create a lot of joy. Now, I don't know, you're getting ready to talk about what the Tao means to you, but I can tell you for me, it deeply resonates with how I want to live anyway. So it's more of a, almost like an affirmation. It almost feels like when I'm reading it, it it's something I already knew. Mm. Do you have that? Yes. You hit on something that, that I think is, is, is exactly the idea um, that I want to share with everyone that I come in con contact with. It's not really that it taught me anything as much as it reassembled uh, what had been maybe broken apart and fractured in some way. It just helped me to remember it. And the Bishop Pearson says it this way. He said, I don't know that we who think we're spiritual teachers are actually teachers as much as we facilitate an environment for people to wake up from their amnesia. So, mm. so not really that I'm telling you anything new as much as it's a reawakening to what already is. So yeah. for me, you know, when people say, well, tell me about Zen. I mean, my response to that is, first of all, I can't. Because you really, yep. you really can't. When people say, tell me about Tao, I'll say, well, you know, let me, I'll try to explain what I think about it 
in the simplest terms that I can come up with and in terms that we can all kind of gather around to have a conversation. But the very first chapter of the Tao says the Tao that can be named is not the eternal Tao anyway. Um, yes. The Tao, which is actually the, the, the word Tao is translated all uh, the word God is translated Tao in all Chinese Bibles. Ironically, that's the word that's used in Chinese Bibles. Yeah. So in the beginning was the Tao, uh, and the Tao was with Tao, and the Tao was Tao, and the same was in the beginning with Tao. I mean, it, it almost gets confusing unless you know enough about Tao. T A O, by the way, it's not D O W. It sounds like D O W, but it's T A O. Um, but the idea is it's, it's the, it's the creative energy, the creative activity from which all things arise. Um, yet it can't be named. And so, you know, what attracts me to Zen, um, as well as to Tao, um, is not the development of a new religion for me, but the fact that Zen and Tao both speak to the idea that we can't define it. We, we can't codify it. And that's what I've been trying to say about God to people for many years now, dude. I've been trying to say to people for many years, there's no way for you or I, either one, to wrap our intellect around something that created the intellect I have. I, I, like, I, I, you can't do that any more than you can bite your own teeth. <laughs> you can't do that any more than you can look into your own eye or you can touch your fingertip with your fingertip, the same fingertip, which sounds weird to people. But think about that for a moment. Just think about it. You can't explain God or even really your essential self to people any more than you can grasp the air, you know. Um, so qu quotes started coming to me years ago you know like the change what if you change the way you see the world the world you see will change if you change your thoughts I could go there because I had this belief that you know be not conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind um, I had scriptures in my mind where Paul said take every thought captive and submit it to Christ um, let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ, uh, was in Christ Jesus, who saw it not robbery to count himself equal with God and yet found no need to grasp for that position. Mm -hmm. Uh, <clears throat> you know, as one thinks in their hearts, so are they that those, all those things were in my mind. So when I saw change your thoughts, change your life, I went, Oh, okay. I mean, I can go right along with that. But what it did was it opened me up to stuff like, Siddhartha said one time, uh, let's see if I can get this right. I'm going to have to paraphrase this. The mind is everything and what you think you become. The mind is everything. And what was he talking about there? Is he talking about the brain? And I don't think so. I think he's talking about consciousness and awareness. Yeah. Activity. Absolutely. That energy out there is everything. It's from, it's the, it is the source of. We could even say almost that Siddhartha was in a way saying God, although he wouldn't have used he would not have used the language God. But the consciousness is everything. And then what you think about taps you into that frequency and that's what you become. Yeah, you know, the interesting thing about that and and um you know, for, for those who might not be um familiar with some of the language, Siddhartha is the guy that that uh people most 
often today incorrectly call Buddha, which right. is interesting because Siddhartha said, if you can name the Buddha, that's not the Buddha. <laughs> so, And he also said, if you come across the Buddha while you're in the way with him, kill him. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> it's weird that we call him that. But, right. you know, the funny thing about that is the Tao, and there's a there's a one of those verses that says, um, and and I don't I'm not saying that we shouldn't read and study and all those things, but one of the verses says, He who's in the pursuit of knowledge adds little to his day daily. He who is open Yeah. And then it says, He who is open to the Tao, things are dropped upon him. Ah that's good. Yeah. <laughs> it is good because man, how many times if you if you're just open how many times you're just driving along and all of a sudden you understand a mystery of, you know, living and life and, and essentially the universe. And you think, of, well, well, where did this come from? Well, it came from your openness, your availability to God or the divine, allowing him you know, to speak to you. Yes. That's Which I think is so important, man. And so many times, and I still struggle with this a lot, is... Um, you know, I, I want this like massive structure to my belief system, mm. which really, it, it, first of all, that's not Christianity. It's what it's become. But that wasn't that was not the original intention of it at all. I mean, the, these letters and everything that we've compiled and call scripture, there were no chapters and verses. And those were not intended to be, um, I guess, uh, uh, consumed as you know micro bits of information but right. instead you're supposed to read it as a whole and you're supposed to get the gist of the entire story they called that a meta narrative and and the same thing is with our approach to god you know years ago i used to tell my kids before i had ever read anything by anybody in the east if you understand that life sucks then you can start to be happy <laughs> <laughs> Which is a crude way of what, you know, is the, the philosophy of uh, Zen is. If you understand that life is hard, and they call that dukkha, but if you understand that life is difficult and that nothing is permanent and change is the only constant, yes. well, it's then that you can be, that you can begin to achieve happiness at that point because – you don't view things, and and you know it's funny because, and I, I don't want to mon monopolize the conversation, but um, a couple of maybe a year ago, you got uh, you posted, um, "Your life has no calling. This is good news," <laughs> <laughs> which is so counter to what so many of us believe about God. Right. Right. And I think that that becomes a terrible trap because so many people think, okay, I am called to do this. And when this doesn't work out, essentially it means your purpose, your life, everything that is connected to it, somehow you failed God in that area. When in reality, um, change is constant and God understands this. And so the callings or the things that were, that God intends for us to do, those are also constantly changing. Hmm. Hmm. Which is why I think so many times the Tao is is referred to almost like water. Yes, it is. Which I I'm slightly obsessed with. <laughs> right, right. I mentioned to you before. Be. You know, the eighty twenty. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Well, yeah. you know, and this goes to then the Tao. We're Lao Tzu, and let's let's give some clarity to folks who are you're listening on those on this conversation. 
Siddhartha Gautama um, was a prince who was raised in a kingdom in India, not China. A lot of people associate Buddhism with China. Now, there are a lot of people who are who study and live the philosophy of Buddhism in Asia, but in India is where it formed first. Siddhartha had a way of life that resulted from him being kept in a kingdom where he was raised as a Hindu. A lot of people do not know that, that he was raised as a Hindu. <clears throat> that was his birth religion. That was the religion of his father, who's the king, his mother, who's queen. He was raised in a kingdom. He was kept from all of the pain of the world until he snuck out of the kingdom one day. And when he snuck out, he saw the poverty. He saw the pain. He saw the hurt. He saw the disease. And he had a radical change of enlightenment. This is now where we get the, the study of the practice of Siddhartha Gautama, who experienced what was called enlightenment and began to teach about nirvana. Um, nirvana being uh, this, this ultimate place of no thingness, where you can move out of material, um, material things that hold on to you, that hold you down. He taught about detachment. He taught about um, having that peaceful place within. In fact, actually, Hinduism teaches about the Brahman, which would be the spirit, Holy Spirit. We would call Holy Spirit in the church is the Brahman, the power of God. But actually, Siddhartha was not, uh, he never really taught about a philosophy of God. Uh, it was it was about a connection with the deep self. Um, so if you talk to people who are from uh, the Buddhist philosophy, they don't claim to be a religion because there's not necessarily a teaching about a god somewhere. Whereas in Hinduism, you will find it's it's it is a uh, multi-deity, monotheistic, believe it or not, religion. Right. So Buddhism is not that, and Buddhism comes out of a philosophy of Gautama, uh, Siddhartha Gautama which was his name in, in Sanskrit. So um, it's out of India. Lao Tzu, though, wrote the Tao Te Ching. And when we say Tao, we're talking about Lao Tzu. And Lao Tzu was in China um, about 100 or so years, 130 or so years before Siddhartha was born in India. So they were in separate parts of the world. But much of what they shared was similar. And most people believe, most philosophers believe that the Tao, uh, Lao Tzu was a contemporary of Confucius. All right, so Confucianism is is the predominant philosophy of China, um, and it is it's actually a great way to raise a family, uh, have relationships, government, all of those kind of things. Many people in China actually study and follow the philosophy of Confucianism until they get to the place where they retire, and then they take up the Tao, which is an interesting thing because they say that the Tao is actually so bent toward doing nothing and getting more done that you can't be ambitious enough to have <laughs> to have jobs and make money uh, being a Taoist during the time of work. So that's interesting. I just thought I'd give those factoids out as if any of y'all care. But anyway, um, so that's when we're saying Siddhartha and we're talking about Zen, so there's so many different types of Buddhism too. Zen Buddhism yes. would be my favorite amongst all of them. That's just my personal favorite. Sudupada is another. Uh, Alan Watts tells a funny story of when he was in a bookstore in a monastery. He said he was looking at books, and he mumbled to himself, Sudipada. And this guy said, Sudipada, you study Sudipada. And he said, 
no, no, I, I'm, I'm, mo- I'm more of a Zen guy. And he said, Zen, not Suripada. He said, no, I don't know, but they're, they're kind of similar. And he said, no, 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 Suripada, the only way. <laughs> and, and Alan said, wait a minute now. He said, I have Catholic friends who say their way is the only way. And who's going to tell me the truth about this? But it was inter- he said it was interesting to watch this Buddhist monk get dogmatic because you can be dogmatic about, about anything. But my preference, again, would be uh, Zen. And I just went on a total rant there. But anyway, wherever you want to no, pick up, Craig. I don't, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think it's a rant. I mean, I think there needs to be clarity because there are some, you know, when you talk about it. And interestingly enough, I had a conversation with someone today who was completely turned off by, you know, the conversation because he views Buddhism as a religion with a separate God and all those kinds of things. But um, if you talk to someone who is an expert at Zen Buddhism, essentially, they will tell you that you can facilitate those philosophies with any religion. It doesn't matter what religion it is. So I think that so many times, especially within the Western mindset, um, we have all these nice rigid boxes and I don't know where we came up with that, maybe Catholicism, you know, like Dark Age Catholicism or something. But we have all these really rigid boxes. And if you think about your life, is your life a series of rigid boxes or does it all kind of blend together? You know, <laughs> if you have a bad if you're having a, a, a conflict in your personal life, that doesn't mean when you get to work, all of a sudden you're sunshine. No, you know, you, sometimes you think about that stuff at work. You can't help it. That, that's the way we are. Life is fluid. It isn't compartmentalized. And yes. I know we like to think we are, but we're not. I mean, yeah. whatever you suppress uh, shows up somehow. Yes. You either have an explosive temper or an explosive blood pressure or <laughs> whatever. Um, because we are fluid individuals and we are not compartmentalized individuals, um, it all shows up somewhere. So the, tr- the same would be true uh, regarding what we might call metaphysical or um, life outside of structure. So whenever you, if you're a Christian and you, you know, you think you hear the word Zen and you think, well, I can't do that because, you know, my heart belongs to Jesus. Well, that's, that's sweet, but uh, (laughs) Jesus is not going to get jealous. Yeah. Yeah. You might, you know, you, you, you're probably missing out on something. And I know for my own self, the study of Zen and the ideas of Buddha um, in regards to suffering and the cessation of suffering, they've been, I, I mean, immeasurably helpful in processing and assimilating to the world that is around me. Uh, you know, and, and also, which this isn't going to go well with evangelicals, but if you could let the quote sit with you for a minute and let it marinate and perhaps revisit it. Um, Eckhart Tolle said something really interesting. Uh, somebody said to him, you talk a lot about Jesus. You must, you must really like Jesus. And he said, Oh, I love Jesus. I, I love the words of Jesus and, and the wisdom of Jesus. And he said, it's interesting. The words of Jesus are so profound and, who has really understood them except for maybe a few Buddhists, which, uh, <laughs> true which story. I absolutely, yeah, true story. And I absolutely love that quote because so many of the things that Jesus says, like in this world, you will have trouble. 
And I know he goes on, but take heart, I've overcome the world. But don't don't negate the first part of the phrase right. by hanging on to the second part. Right. Yeah, and, and so Jesus is harmonizing intentionally or unintentionally, I really don't care. But he's harmonizing with a philosophical view that was taught within Buddhism. And I think that we should look at some – because – and I, I think both of you, you and I, are, we're both going on rants because we're we're so excited. But I think that so many times, especially within evangelical Christianity, our focus is so fixated on heaven and hell that we miss the life lessons that Jesus is trying to teach us about enjoying form and existence, which does matter, in my opinion, anyway. I agree, and I think one of the reasons that you and I both have been drawn out of Western views of religion, and I'll I'll rant just a second on that, okay? Please do. The reason we've been drawn out of that to hearing other teachers is because we have what we're having to do is we're having to look through the other side of the lens. You know, have you ever had binoculars before, and you turn them around one way, and it narrows everything down, and it it, it puts things that are really close far away? Have you ever yeah. done that? But if you turn Absolutely. it around the right way, what happens? It brings things into focus and closer. We're having to turn the lens around, east and west, and we're having to turn it around and look back through it. And when you do that, then it opens you up. Oh, my God, Jesus, this is cosmic consciousness. This is one of the reasons that Eckhart Tolle could say what he did. Only a few Buddhists have understood him. Because they were looking through what? The Buddhist lens where they were already brought into this broad understanding that that light gives birth to dark and dark gives birth to light. And without contrast, you don't appreciate either one. And and you are essentially look, listen, here's the deal. If all you ever saw in light was all, all you ever saw in life was the light, that's tantamount to being blind. You need to be able to see the other side. You need to be able to, you can't have extreme pleasure without experiencing pain. They bring you into this harmony, this dance of life. And what if that's what spirit is? Spirit is this dance floor where your, your steps made in a, in linear, uh, a linear way are not near as fun as a dance floor. People think that progress is forward motion, but I say progress is motion. Just being alive, enjoying the dance being a part of the process. And see, I think, uh, like Father Richard Rohr, I think, gets this. I would say that Eckhart would have to say a few Buddhists and Father Richard Rohr. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know I'll give mean? you that one. Yeah, to understand this, because when we start to see this, and, and, and I'd have to say Mike Morell, too, and, and there are many others, you know what I'm saying, who are in the sure. progressive camp that are coming forward. But these are ideas that will change our life forever. Back to the rant on Western religion. The reason we have to, I think, or need to take the trip to the East and make our way back to the West is because Western Christianity was built from a system that was intended to lock you in like a horse, okay? You know what they do with a racehorse? They put blinders on 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 the side of its head so it cannot see to the left or right, so it stays straight ahead doing the bidding of the rider. Rider, Mm -hmm. R-I-D-E-R, the rider. The one who is riding, the one who is commanding the horse. This is what empire religion does to humans, is it says, we want to fulfill this particular agenda. 
And if you don't think Western Christianity, well, if you don't think, if you, well, I'll go back this. If you don't I'll go back further, if you don't think that, that Catholicism and Roman Christianity, because Christianity, there are many who believe, and, and after looking at the evidence, I think it's true, many who believe that Rome created Christianity because it needed to bring its kingdom together. It needed to control the masses, and what better way to do it than to create your own religion and say, God said. And so as a result, that was brought over here to the West, and we continue to live in this really, well, I say it this way, people are so narrow-minded they can look through a keyhole with both eyes. And so this is a narrow view, a narrow view, and so it's better, it's easier to indoctrinate when there are rules and regs. When Zen comes in and says there are no rules, when Taoism comes in and says there are no rules... What you need to do is do less and more will get done. You know, you need to move in an understanding that you you shouldn't dwell in the past or dream of the future, but you should concentrate your mind on the present moment. That there are three things that cannot be hidden long, and that's the sun, the moon, and the truth. When people say Mm -hmm. to you, are you able to be patient enough to let the muddy water settle and sit in one place until the answer arises or arrives in your life? Instead of searching and desiring and trying and and I'm trying to do this, you just allow. In the allowing, what you're doing is giving space to the activity that's necessary. See, much of religion is about how much you can do to make sure you're godly. But spirituality is how much can you not do and simply have faith? Faith. Faith is, has nothing to do with what you do. Faith is a trusting in the knowing and letting go. I don't know. I don't know if that resonates with you, but it's changed my life doing that. Well, you know, I think one of the things that I have noticed now, you know, I've, I've, I've been um, a Christian for a long, long time, and my predominating belief is still in uh, Jesus Christ, uh, you know, and I'm talking about, and not everybody's here and that's fine. You don't have to be, but death, burial, resurrection, the whole thing. I, I, I believe in all of that, but the problem I have is in Westernized Christianity or in it, you know, what we may, what we might call evangelical Christianity. Uh, it is, it is a very strict, stringent, and hard-lined, and by hard-lined, I, I don't mean legalistic. I just mean we have very rigid ideas of how God is and how he works, what he likes and what he doesn't like. And the reality is, as we evolve as a people, which we are evolving mentally and, and, and emotionally, those old precepts don't work. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't work. I'm saying that the form with which he's been presented through the past hundred years, it doesn't answer any of the questions about life. It doesn't help people to live happier. It doesn't help them to find joy or to deal with suffering and death and disease. And so what we're seeing now is people are beginning to look outside of the Christian religion to find some semblance of uh, sanity 
while holding on to some form of deity. And I don't think that they necessarily have to do that, but I think it's a natural byproduct of presenting a God who, quite frankly, in most instances, is a jerk. (laughs) And I don't know how else to say that. Right. But we so often present God with these hard truths and these hard ideas, and you either accept it or you go to hell, and that's the way that it is. Well, you get to be a certain age, and you go, yeah, I can't do this anymore. Mm. None of this makes sense to me. I'm miserable. And if this is how God is, I don't think I like him. And that's just a reality, and you can try to deny that emotionally all you want, but it's still an internal truth. And again, everything that you suppress eventually is going to come back and say, hey, I, I'm still here. At some point, you're going to have to deal with me. And I, and I would say this to the people listening today. You should deal with these issues now. You should ask these hard questions now. There's nothing wrong with the hard questions. There's nothing wrong with looking at a guy like Siddhartha and saying, or Lao Tzu and saying, you know what? A lot of the things that he says, they really resonate with me and they make sense. They interpret things like be still and know that I am God. Mm. Or like First John 2.27 uh, the Holy Spirit lives in you. You don't need a teacher. He will, and again, just such a great word, he will reveal what you need to know. Yeah. And I think a lot of us, if we took a le- if we understood maybe the, the Bible, and I, I'm saying maybe um, as a part of the, the conversation, perhaps it's not the Bible that's wrong for those of you that are doubting, but it is the presentation. It's the way it's been presented that is wrong. And if you could look at it through the eyes of Lao Tzu, for instance, uh, or the eyes uh, perhaps of a Buddhist philosophy, it might begin to open up to you in a way that is incredibly profound. And that's been the experience that I've had. I don't know about you, John, but it's been very – Scripture has transformed uh, as I look at it through a different lens. Well, and I think that's true of, of, of all things. I think the probably one of my biggest issues with religion in general, in general, is there is this sense that, okay, this is it. You know, like when I come across Zen and I do a lot of studying in Zen and I have over the last six months, especially just, just studying the thoughts, the ideas simple one-liners that help me to go, oh, oh, yeah. And so I'll meditate on that for a little while and feel that. If you're not mindful, what will happen is you will develop a religion around that idea too, and then all of a sudden you'll go, well, Buddhism's the right way, right? Which, And here's the thing. You wouldn't know there was a right way unless there was a wrong way, and then you, what you do is you introduce conflict. Right. You're introducing conflict because now you're saying one is better than another. It's just like saying one thing is beautiful in order for it to be beautiful. Then something needs to be ugly. You have to have the contrast in this particular environment that we live in. Right. So for me, I'm looking at it and and it that's exactly I agree with you. It has opened up the Bible too. it's opened up the Bible to me. It's opened up the uh, the Dhammapada. It's opened up even the song of the Lord, the Bhagavad Gita. It's opened up the the uh, writings of Lao Tzu. So I can enjoy all of it now. And what I, here's what I like is that I hear this har- harmony. Right. It's like going to an orchestra concert. You don't go to the concert just to hear a flute. 
You don't go just to hear a cello. You go to hear a concert. And for them to play in concert, and of course you know this, Craig, uh, on a personal level, for there to be a concert, you enjoy various tones, you enjoy various vibrations that come together in what? Harmony. And you can tell if there's disharmony. So to me, what I have learned through uh, Zen, I've learned this through um, uh, Taoism, through the Song of the Lord, and some of the Hinduism, even some of the Sufism for me. What I have learned in that and in Christianity is that I can experience a concert. And, and it's beautiful, man. It's beautiful. Now, one of the things that comes to mind for me, because you talked about suffering a little bit, you mentioned it, and you, mm-hmm. talk, you talked about learning to appreciate or to even to love the quote-unquote bad things in your life because they're going to happen. I mean, you quoted the scripture where Jesus said, suffering is going to take place. That's all there's. I've conquered the world. For me personally is what he was saying, I think. But he said, and, and I think he was saying that so that we could see the example. But you're going to experience suffering. Here's a quote that changed my life about two years ago. And it took me a minute. I had to, I had to really, these are two quotes actually back to back. And they're from two different places. One is from the Dhammapada. And another is from a book titled The Lazy Man's Guide to Enlightenment. Which is <laughs> okay. a, it's a great book. This quote, to seek is to suffer. To seek nothing is bliss. Mm. And I was told a story about a student who came to a Zen master and he said, what must I do to live in bliss? And the Zen master said to him, he said, well, you need to go out and learn to not desire. So the student went out. He came back about six months later, extremely angry with the master. He said, master, I learned not to desire everything, but I found myself desiring not to desire. (laughs) and then then the zen master laughed he kind of chuckled and he said well then you have found exactly what i intended for you to learn and the student said basically this is the vernacular of the south what the hell do you mean i didn't learn anything and the zen master said ah but you did you learned that the only way to not desire is to let go of desire and he said well Still, hell, this is this is as clear as mud. It's still, I don't understand it. Learning to, the trick is letting go of needing to know. The ego needs to know. The spirit gets into the flow. And therein you find your dis, a difference. So to seek is to suffer. To seek nothing is bliss. That means you... You just you you let it go, and as you let it go, you find that everything you need comes into your life. And then Thaddeus Gullis, who wrote <laughs> The Lazy Man's Guide to Enlightenment, said, when you learn to love hell, you will find yourself in heaven. Mm-hmm. And, and I can hear people right now, the brain's trying to explode. What When you learn to love hell, I'm supposed to despise hell, shun hell. There's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. (laughs) That's what you hear people saying in your heads. But what he was saying is, is when you learn to send love to everything, all of a sudden you find yourself living in paradise where everything that comes to you, you realize it comes into your life for a reason, for a season, and sometimes a lifetime. I mean, Paul said he had a thorn in his flesh that he couldn't get rid of. So what do these things come to teach us? I think is, is, is the question, but I, I think, for me, it freed me up 
where now I realize that the mind is like a mad monkey and what I what I can do my best to do is to just calm it down and realize that everything comes to pass in your life that includes breathing a heartbeat if you hold on to the breath it will be taken from you but if you breathe in and let go then you're receiving and giving receiving and giving receiving and giving and this has taught me how to reread the scriptures just as you mentioned a moment ago yeah, you know, and I, I think as well that, and I guess people have to get to a point where they're comfortable with the unknown. And I know that that's a process. It certainly was a process for me. But, you know, if you're supposed to have a personal, which because you say this all the time in the evangelical circles, talk about having a personal relationship with Jesus. But the reality is, in many ways, it's anything but personal because you're taught what to believe. Uh, what's right about him, what's wrong about uh, him, uh, doc- doctrinally speaking. And so you're given all these precepts of, of which your faith is supposed to be contained within. Now, if we're going to believe in a God of the Scripture, this is a God who uh, theoretically, or at least what the the sages and wise teachers wanted you to believe, this is a guy who split the seas. This is the guy who spoke through the mouth of the donkey. This is the guy who impregnated a virgin. This is, I mean, there's all these wild outside the box things that God does. And now all of a sudden, a few thousand years into this, we want to have all this structure to him. And it it doesn't, line up with the scripture and even um the disciples don't agree about exactly who and what jesus was teaching read it i mean with open eyes there's a lot of conflict in the new testament about what's right and what's wrong and so if you're not an individual who's willing to have a outer worldly relationship with god then you don't have a relationship with god Mm. and i think i think that that's important because within the westernized world many of us have a relationship with god that's on the books (laughs) yeah your name's written in that book I would, I believe these, this is my doctrinal statement. I know that because the church gave it to me. I, I, I got baptized, you know, uh, the, the whole thing. Um, that, that's not a relationship with God. That's just checking off, you know, items on the list. And so when you check off items on the list, then you have to say, uh, uh Jesus good. Uh, uh, John Hagee, good, you know, uh, Oral Roberts, good. This guy, your guy, whoever your guy is, he's good. <laughs> Buddha, bad. Oh, Lao Tzu, bad. Even though maybe they said some good things. Oh, that's some kind of weird deception. I'm being, why? Right. Why, why would that be? That doesn't make sense. Right. And I, I'm reminded of, uh, you know, and there's several translations of the Tao, just for those of you out there, so but there's, many. there's yeah. so many. But one of them says, even in paradise, the fool um, will turn uh, the emotions clouding his mind into suffering. But the Taoist empties his mind. So it becomes like the blue sky. And then he um, escapes suffering. Mm. And so I, I think what the Tao is trying to teach there is 
don't make life so rigid. Don't make God rigid because it's not. And you know this, you can wake up thinking, this is going to be the best day of my life. I claimed it in Jesus' name. And then at the end of the day, it was the worst day ever, you know, because that's how God is. That's how life is. That's how we are. It's all unpredictable in some fashion. Yeah. Yeah. And for those who are out there who are saying, I've heard so much God in this particular episode, I don't even believe in God. Fine. That's fine. But you can wake up every day and still have this understanding of harmony with the earth, harmony with the world around you. Even Jesus teaches us things that can help us to live more more harmonious in the world, more peaceful in the world. And, you know, listen, as a part of my meditation in the mornings, here's what I'll say. I admit and this is this is this is something that is a part of my affirmations on a daily basis. I know that today there are things that will come up that are beyond my control and not necessarily my preference. Mm-hmm. I don't ask for strength to ignore those things, but I ask that the deep part of me show up to respond to those things in the way that I should respond. See, because 95% of life is what we re- how we respond to life. 5% is what happens to us versus what we do with what happens to us. That's, this is, that's psychology there. But it truly does help me to really get through all of these things. When you, when you recognize that there's contrast that's ne- necessary, you welcome it all. And when you welcome it all, it becomes your guest. And, and I... I have this weird thing that sometimes I go through and I'll, I'll share, I've shared this with our group and the group I'm allowed to serve in Chattanooga that, you know, if you have a particular person or a particular personality uh, conflict within your own self that continues to visit you, a memory that you don't like, a thought, a habit that you don't like, instead of trying to cast it out, befriend it and ask it what it's come to teach you. It's trying to teach you something. And it's less likely to become your roommate if when it knocks on the door, you offer it a cup of coffee and you ask it why it's there. And then once you learn what you've needed to learn from it, you'd be surprised at what will leave your life, what will vacate your life, right? Which sounds weird to some people, but it works for me now that when I have thoughts that I don't like, instead of just trying to cast it out in Jesus' name. Or if something happens in my life that I don't necessarily have a have as a preference, I ask, what is this? What is is this the eggs in the cake that I don't want to drink raw, but I would love to put into the ingredients of the cake, right? What is this? This this is coming to my life for a reason and a season, and how can I utilize this? It that way of thinking, I don't think that way of thinking would have come without me being able to step out into some Zen thoughts and and into some um um, Taoist thoughts. I mean, those things really have just changed in many ways how I see the world. Do you feel the same well, way with that? Well, I feel like I feel, yeah, absolutely. And in addition to that, you know, I, I feel like one of the things that's been very helpful, helpful for me. And I had a, 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 a notable scholar, uh, who will remain nameless. Tell me, uh, if you really want to study the the ideas of jesus you're going to end up in the east sooner or later Mm. but that that's just a 
uh, that's just a freebie. But for me, the the way I view things, and this is going to go a little bit, bit back to the God thing, but but it doesn't have to be singular to Christianity. But here's the way I view things: there is that we are we are a, a trinity unto our own self, and so there is the body, and there is the psyche. And then there is what I believe to be the eternal spirit, what always was, what always uh, will be. Okay, and so the spirit is in touch with the things of God, the divine. <clears throat> the The body is susceptible and open to the things of this world. It feels jealousy, anger, hunger, pleasure, everything. And the psyche is in the middle of those. <clears throat> so when I experience something that is not satisfactory or something that is upsetting to me, I realize that my, the flesh part of me, the, the form that I am is upset. The spirit part of me is neutral and the psyche doesn't know what the hell to do with all this, you know? (laughs) And so oftentimes what I've learned is within my own self is to step back and say, Okay, Craig, the, the, the form, the avatar, the being, I see that you're upset. I see that you're, and I, and I'd leave you room and space to be upset. But how much meaning do you want to give to this moment? Wow. Yeah. How much of your energy do you want to spend on this? Yeah. Yeah. Does this mean as much as you think it means? I know you're upset right now. Yeah. But, Will this matter next week? Will this matter in five years? Or are you making too much out of this moment? That's good. And I think that we have the power to do that because oftentimes I will think to myself, yeah, you know what? This person flipped me off or I got ripped off or something happened that I didn't like. Perhaps something at work I felt disrespected. But the reality is, and, and I don't mean to be mean, but the individual who said it, um, they always talk that way. Or the person who flipped me off, they don't even know me. They're just responding to their own internal conflict, which is the truth. Yes. And so I'm not going to apply a whole lot of definition and meaning to this moment. In fact, I'm just going to let it go. Mm. And in the Tao, it says which would meant so much to me. And I, and uh, I don't, I'm not good with the verses, but the Tao says um, there's the individual who in the face of adversity is calm like water. And by doing nothing, he does more than anything. Yes. And I just thought that was so powerful because people think, well, I'm not just going to be a, a, a doormat. That's not what you're doing. What you're doing is you are not engaging in the conflict and the immaturity, the reality is the immaturity of form. Mm. Well, I'm not going to get mad at you because you cut me off in traffic. It doesn't matter. Now to some people, Oh my gosh, the horn starts honking and fingers start flying and we're going to yell and we're going to pull over. And is that really how you want to live your life? Well, at one point in time, perhaps I didn't know any better, but now as someone who is, and I'm certainly not enlightened, but I am all those then would teach that we have moments of enlightenment. Uh, but there are times when I, yes, I, I am quite enlightened and expanded. And I realized that what I'm upset about, I'm giving more meaning than what it deserves. And I think that's an important lesson to learn personally. I agree with that. I had a friend that contacted me the other day 
and he had what he felt like was a personal failure. And he said, I just, I want to talk about it. And I said, well, that's fine. Let's talk about it. And so we talked about it. And, and I, and, and as we talked, you know, I said, look, you know, here's the thing, like what, um, you know, how much of this situation do you want to give your energy to, you know, how much of this do you want to spend your time on as you know, you, here's the thing. If guilt shows up, it knocks at the door and it hands you a mirror. That's what guilt does. Folks, guilt will walk up to the door and hand you a mirror and it will reveal to you what it is in your life that you are. And that's okay. If you are guilty of something, hurting a relationship, distrust, doing something that was illegal, doing something that was immoral, whatever the list of things are, if you're guilty of that, I'm air quoting, then guilt shows up to say to you, do something about it. So you make amends. That's what guilt does. Shame? Shame wants to move into your guest bedroom. Shame shows up. Guilt says you did something wrong. Shame says you are something wrong. So that's not what you are. And so never allow shame to live with you. Here's what happens. If you if you stay in that moment long enough and you give it energy, you're going to make it bigger. Where your focus goes, your energy begins to flow. And so in any given situation, when you find yourself in traffic, just like you were saying a moment ago, in that very same scenario, you find yourself in traffic and you find yourself losing your cool, uh, get yourself back. Call yourself back from that because it doesn't really matter. The people in your life who come against you. I had someone recently that said I was a false prophet, but I, I, I considered the source of the accusation. I did. That's not me being mean or I'm not casting off because I think this individual needs a whole lot of love. And that's what I wanted to do is send love to him. But I, I, I considered the source, okay? Considered the source, mapped it out, and I said, okay, my response could be very eloquent. I could write a master's or doctoral thesis in this situation and just obliterate with all of this knowledge that I think I have and and what good would I've really done I've given energy to ego and instead my response was thank you for your observation and I send love and appreciation to you I totally understand why you feel that way because I didn't want to give it any any energy because the energy you have should be used on first it should be used on yourself to, to find your essential and authentic self. And then secondly, um, if we send love to everything, I, I think we start finding out that, that life loves us in return. And what's that proverb that says that a kind word turns away wrath? Yeah. So find, exactly. find a space of meaning in what feels meaningless. You can bring the meaning to it. You can. Well, Craig, look, we have come really to the end of this chat together. I, I mean, we could continue going on because I, I could really talk forever about this stuff. Maybe we'll have to do a part two. But I wanted to give way for you to, to give some closing comments. Well, you know, I just think that um, I, I I know for me and, and I, I'm so respectful of people that have, a, you know, a an ingrained religion, whatever it may be. Absolutely. But don't, don't think, you know, even the Vatican too said, you know, there are other writings that uh, are inspired, not just ours. There are other writings that are inspired as well. And we can learn for those from those. And Richard Gore talks about that in his new book. So 
Um, I, I think that for those of us here trying to figure it out, don't just limit yourself to the acceptable reading list. There is some beautiful wisdom out there that is incredibly, I mean, has helped me immeasurably. And uh, I, I think if you could begin to open your mind up and realize that it's not going to distract or take away. I mean, Zen Buddhism is is non-theistic. They don't even believe in a God. So I, I think that you can look at some of these writings and say, hey, you know, um, maybe I don't agree with everything here, but uh, that just puts me in the company with some of the best apostles, you know, to walk the earth. Yeah. So I, I think that wisdom is found in a lot of places. And um, when you catch a variety of views, well, you really can reach a, a new level of peace that I, I promise you, you haven't experienced yet. And you touched on the ego a moment ago. Holy cow, man. We could talk forever on that as well, because how many times do we respond, not because we want to correct the other person, but because we want to add the definition of who we are to our own existence. <laughs> yes. And which that's is solid, a horrible thing Which is a do. solid proof you don't really know who you are. I mean, those who know who they are. Well, even the even the Tao says this. He who speaks has not, and he who has speaks not. Yeah, how many emails I've written and said, you know what? Why am I sending this? This right. is ridiculous. I know. <laughs> yeah, this is completely ego, and it's against who I want to be as a as a as a being. Yes. Yeah. And and and, and why would I want to waste my? You know, maybe this gets crude for people, but but it's almost like I call it cosmic masturbation. That's what I call it. It's just, it's just getting off on it's get getting off on this whole concept of look at me, look at me, and it really it it doesn't it doesn't le- it's not it's so different than making love. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I know that that makes some people feel queasy and uneasy, but uh, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the other. I'm just saying if, you, if that's all you're ever doing, then you're not entering into an intercourse with the world or with those around you. You're not entering into a loving, making love type of relationship. You really are just satiating your own desires and you start to lean into more desiring, more pleasure for you. And all that does with the ego, ultimately, it leaves it on its own because there, there's no offspring in that ever, well, ever. Well, the true, the true narrative of, of Jesus Christ is, um, don't look at me. I came here to do the will of my father. Yes. That's why I'm here. And we turned it into this big thing and, and, and made him this, you know, scapular that, 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 that wasn't the intention. And I think that so many times we are doing the exact same thing. Well, I have to stick up for my religion. No, you don't. You, you need to show the world who you believe God is, which is love and, and let it sit. We, we don't, geez, man, there, there is enough information out there. I think maybe we could just love for a while and, and try to balance the scales a bit, you know, for a long time. That would be great. That would be fantastic. for a long time. Right on. Well, Craig, man, th- listen, thank you for being, you know, hanging out with me today. I was going to say being on the show and not being on the show. Thank you for hanging out and, and, and us pushing record on this conversation. And these are the kind of conversations that Craig and I have, you know, fairly regularly because, you know, it's just stuff we've discovered. And I'll tell you this. 
uh, I think I can speak for Craig with this, and he can, of course, chime in on his own. We don't think we have the answers. It's not that. It's you know, it's really sharing with those of you who are out there. Um, our journey to through deconstruction and reconstruction has consisted of many, many very interesting things, and some of those interesting things happen to come out of the East. And and I agree with that scholar who mentioned to you that very same thing. That uh, ultimately, if if, if you're going to be on this journey of truth, at some point, it's going to lead you to the East. I agree with well, that. and you know absolutely, and and um, first of all, I don't I don't claim to know anything at all. Uh, everything that you hear from me is mere obser- observation. Um, and secondly, I was going to say this feels like a normal phone call that you and I have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is this is how we this is how we spend our friendship right here. <laughs> yeah, and it's 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 wonderful, but yeah, it just feels like a normal. You know, yeah, basically we hit record on a normal. John and Craig conversation. That's right. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. A, and thanks, a, and dude. An man. Occa- and an occasional adult beverage. But anyway, <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, Craig, man, thank you for hanging out with me. And um, I'm going to say it because this is what I'm supposed to say on this show. I hear the music getting started. That means we got to get out. <laughs> right on, man. God bless you, buddy. I love, love you, man. Peace. I love you too, brother. See you, man. All right, guys, thanks a lot, man, for hanging out with John and I today. Uh, yes, man, it's interesting because, and I know a lot of you will be like, why, why are we discussing this? This is supposed to be like a deconstruction-type podcast. And, you know, honestly, um, I think the integration of new ideas, new philosophies, um, I think they can be really helpful in strengthening our faith and beginning the process of reconstructing. Uh, I've, I've got quite a few episodes on deconstruction, and I'll continue to have that as well as it's applicable or according to whom you know I'm hanging out with or whatever I'm feeling that week, right? But I also think we have to be in the process of reconstruction. And so there's so many great, beautiful, wonderful ideas out there that really can facilitate what what i think is a happier life quite frankly what i what i think is a uh, a closer experience with the divine and i think that the tao and i think that the many of the words of of uh, siddhartha or buddha as he's also known i think they're extremely helpful so even though it may be slightly offensive to you or perhaps it's a it's a, a territory that you're not familiar with i would encourage you to uh open up a bit and see uh See how these might integrate into your experience. And, uh, yeah, that's it. All right, man. Jump online. Always love to hear from you guys. Always love the likes. Always love the comments. All that kind of stuff. Jump online. Let me know what you thought of the podcast. If you dig it, share it on your stuff. And we'll see you next week, guys. Done. <laughs>